we are ending a series called Better. And in this series, we're trying to learn how to have better relationships. Uh, We've looked at how to have better dating relationships, how to have better marriages, how to have better friendships. And today we're talking about how to have better families. And I know that this message is probably not going to apply to most of you because all of your families are fully functioning. You have no drama, no dysfunction, you know, none of that stuff in your families. But there's some in mine. So, you know, me and a few other families will probably benefit from today's message. So I showed you that video because sometimes family life can feel like circus life. And that happens in my life as well. So here's an example. A few years ago, my family and I went to the beach to enjoy a Saturday together. And we don't get a whole lot of those, so we were just going to enjoy some time at the beach. And we, we had all of our stuff. I had one of those huge beach wagons with all of our chairs and the, uh, our boogie boards. And we had the, the tent that we bring with it. I mean, I had that thing weighted down. And I'm dragging that thing across the sand. We got set up. And we noticed off in the distance that there was a storm coming. And I thought, this is one of those normal, you know, summer storms. It's going to roll through quickly, and it'll be beautiful afterwards. And so we'll just kind of hunker down under our tent, and we'll survive this storm. I looked back, and there were a number of families behind us with their tents. One thing I didn't notice was their tents were lower than mine. They had set their tents down low, and some families set their tents kind of at an angle in the direction that the storm was coming. I didn't do that. So we're sitting there under the tent, and then all of a sudden, I didn't realize this little summer storm was going to be a mini hurricane. So it came in low and fast, and it picked up our tent, and it threw our tent down the beach and tumbled it, mangled it where it could not be repaired. It it took all of our stuff and spread it, felt like a mile down the beach. And my kids get this moment of of being courageous and heroes, and they're like, we're saving the tent. So my four kids grab the four corners of the tent. They're being drugged down the beach. Like, it's not going well. And so I, being dad in this moment, I decide I'm going to be decisive. I'm solving this problem. My kids are about to die. And so I jump in, and I'm yelling at my kids, let the tent go. They let the tent go and it gets mangled down the beach. The storm passes. The sun comes out. It's beautiful. And there stands our family, looking like we just got drug out of you know, the, the washing machine, all dirty and messy, and drug all down the beach. And so we are picking up all of our stuff, and we're grabbing the bent tent and dragging it back. And my kids on the way back say, Dad, why'd you yell at us? We're trying to save the tent. I'm like, why did I yell at you? I'm trying to save your life. What do you mean, why did I yell at you? Like, you're about to die. And I turned around, I looked up at the families on the beach, and I could just feel them all going. (laughs) That was the greatest, like, circus ever. That was a fantastic reason to come to the beach. And, like, can I get some popcorn? Because that was really fun. And my family life sometimes feels like circus life. Anybody else feel that way? I'm hoping you're saying about your family, not my family. Okay, I know, my fa- we already know my family is kind of a circus. But if you feel like your family life can sometimes be like a circus, well, be encouraged because the Bible's full of circus families. 
especially in the first part of the Bible. You look at the first few pages, you read the story of Adam and Eve. And if you don't know their story, the first humans, they've got the first kids. They've got two kids and one of their kids killed the other kid. And I'm thinking, you know what? I got four and my kids haven't killed each other yet. They probably want to. And we've tried to stop them a few times from that. But the first family brought murder into our world. And then comes Abraham and Sarah. Abraham's known as the father of the Jewish people. And they didn't have any children. And God said, I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to make your descendants as abundant as the stars in the sky. And when God didn't give them a child, when they expected a child to come, they came up with another plan. And Sarah convinced Abraham to sleep with her servant, Hagar. And I wonder how much convincing she had to do for that. And I wonder how much dysfunction came out of that. A whole lot. That created some family drama that's still kind of going on today. And then their, their son, Isaac, when they did have the son, married Rebecca, and they had twin boys, Jacob and Esau. The Bible says that Isaac loved Esau and Rebecca loved Jacob. There's a whole world of hurt in that one sentence. Some of you may know what that's like, where you've got a family member that you feel like, you know, uh, my sibling is loved by this parent more than anybody else. Or this sibling is loved by that parent more than anybody else. So you may know what that's like. So that brought a whole lot of pain into their family. And it was so bad that Rebecca helped Jacob steal a blessing that belonged to Esau. And it created a lot of family drama for many years. Then Jacob, he grew up, married uh, multiple women, had 12 sons. And 10 of his sons hated one of his sons so much, and it was his favorite son. And you would have thought that Jacob would have learned about that whole parent favorite thing, you know. He would have learned not to do that, but he didn't learn from that. And these 10 sons hated Joseph so much, they decided they were going to sell him into slavery in Egypt and tell dad that he was killed by a wild animal. Like, talk about circus families. And drama and scripture, it's all throughout scripture. That's just a few families out of the first book in the Bible. There's a whole lot more if you read through the Bible. So there's a whole lot of families in the Bible that needed to learn how to have better family relationships, just like we need to learn today. So you're going to be encouraged. We're not going to learn from any of the families that we talked about so far this morning. We're actually going to learn three biblical truths that can help us build better families. And the first truth that we're going to learn comes from Ephesians chapter 5. So we looked at this a few weeks ago, but we need to look at it again from another perspective. So in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul starts talking to husbands and wives about how to build better marriages. And in the context of this, he gets down to what I think is like the secret ingredient, the secret sauce for how to do this. And it's in verse 33. In verse 33, he says, Each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. You notice he said something different to the men and to the women. What we found in that message is that what women often desire most is love, and what men often desire most is respect. And when we get in that, those right patterns of giving love and respect to each other, our relationships are amazing. But when we get out of that, we get into what's known as the crazy cycle, which gets a little painful for each other and for other family members as well. So one of the greatest ways that we can build better families is to have a passionate love for God and our spouse. That's one of the greatest things that we could ever give our kids 
That's better than giving them everything they want for Christmas. That's better than buying your 16-year-old a brand new car on her birthday. And I got a 16-year-old that just turned 16, and she's looking for a car. And I said, listen, we're giving you the gift of our marriage. And she said, whatever. She didn't say that. Anyway, that's greater than giving anything to our kids, anything that we could ever give them outside of an introduction to Jesus. You know, I wish that I could say that my wife and I have always done a great job of demonstrating love and respect to each other and to our kids, but we haven't always done that. There have been moments we haven't modeled the right thing to our kids, but in those moments, I can say what we've always done is we've fixed what we've damaged. We have clearly modeled to our kids, when you mess up, own it. Take responsibility for that. Go and fix what you've damaged. Go have, have those conversations. Make that apology. Rebuild what you've damaged. We've done that for each other. My wife and I have. We've done that with our kids. And I want my kids to know, hey, we're not perfect. But we're going to work really hard to have a passionate love for God and for each other. So that's a great way to build better families. One of the first places to start. And the really cool thing about this is that you can even apply this if you're divorced or if you've never been married to your child's other parent. And sometimes people think, you know, we're divorced. We just have this family dynamic, this drama that's here. It's just always going to stay here. It doesn't have to stay there. Like you actually can apply love and respect patterns and principles into your relationship and create a great family dynamic no matter what your family dynamic is. So you can still apply that. So my question for us this morning is, if you're married, how's your marriage? Are you showing your spouse the love and respect that you should give them? If you are, you're learning to build a better family. If you aren't, you're a part of the circus act that may be going on in your relationships. So giving our spouses great passionate love for each other, giving our kids a great passionate love for God is one of the first ways to build a better marriage, better families. Now, after addressing moms and dads in Ephesians chapter five, the apostle Paul turns to chapter six and he addresses children. So I'm curious, how many of you have parents here? That was a slow laugh. You'll get it. If you haven't raised your hand, you'll get it in just a minute. All right, this applies to everybody. Everybody's hands should be up. Everybody's got parents, okay? So Paul's going to talk to all of us in chapter 6, verse 1. He says, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on earth. So truth number two involves children, involves us obeying and honoring our parents. And the really cool thing about this truth is it has a promise tied to it. God says, listen, I promise you, if you honor and you obey your parents, things will go well for you, and you'll live a long time. On this earth. So, a question for you is if you are still living at home, are you obeying your parents? And it doesn't matter whether you're five, you're 15, you're 25, you're 35, hopefully you're not 45, still living at home, but if you are, you know, maybe you are. 
So if you're still living at home, regardless of your age, are you obeying your parents? And I understand five and 25 are different things, and, and we've got to interact differently uh, with each other in those contexts. But I think it still applies no matter how old we are. If we're living at our parents' home, God wants us to obey them. And there's ways that we can do that. There's things that they want us to do. There's, there's ways to make those family relationships the best that they can possibly be. So if you're living at home, are you obeying your parents? If you're all grown up living out on your own, are you honoring your parents? Are you honoring them for who they are and the investment that they've made in you or maybe still are making in you? I want you to think about this. One day, you might have adult children. And if so, do you want your adult children to honor you the way that you are honoring your parents? If so, great. Keep honoring your parents. If not, maybe you need to work on honoring your parents in a whole new way. Now, the reality is some of you are thinking, but you don't know my parents. My parents aren't really worth honoring you know, my parents didn't do a good job of raising me and loving me and giving me the, the kind of family dynamic that I needed. And, you know, my, my family, like, gave us all kinds of crazy circus-type activity on a regular basis, and there's a lot of pain and dysfunction and drama that I'm still living with today. So if you're in that spot, I still believe that God's command holds true, that we obey and honor our parents. And it has way more to do with what God wants to do inside of us than the type of parenting we've received. And I've had the privilege of watching this firsthand with my mother-in-law and my father-in-law. My mother-in-law's mom was a rough mom. She was physically abusive, verbally abusive, mentally abusive. And my mom... My mother-in-law uh, uh, watched when her mom was in those later uh, years of her life. She got some illnesses that she was battling with, and she needed help. And my mother-in-law said, I'll help her. Like, I'll help her. And she easily, after all that she'd been through, she easily could have said, no thanks. All the pain that you poured into my life, no thanks. I don't want any part of that. Like, sorry, but you're on your own until you die. But my mother-in-law and father-in-law took, uh, took her mom in and helped her, cared for her, honored her, and God did some amazing things in their relationship through that. So it really is possible, regardless of the type of family that you come from, how you were parented, to still obey and honor your parents. It's another way for building better relationships. Now, we're going to jump over to the book of Titus to see our third truth this morning. And this is the Apostle Paul still speaking, and he's speaking to a young man named Titus, and, and he's gonna give him some more information, some more clarity on what it looks like for us to build better families. So listen to what he says in chapter two, verse one. It says, as for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Teach the older men to exercise self-control and to be worthy of respect and to, to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. 
These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to, to live wisely and to be pure, to work in their homes. Some translations say to care for their homes, to do good and to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. Now, ladies, there's probably one word in that passage that like has got the hair in the back of your neck standing up. And I probably know what that is. It's that word submission. And if, if you weren't here two weeks ago, we dug into that. And we, we learned that it brings this context of stepping in and stepping under a weight to strongly support our spouse and the weight that they are carrying, where we step in with them and strongly support them. So if you missed our message two weeks ago, I strongly encourage you to listen to that, not be derailed by that word. There's a whole lot of power in, in that, that God calls all of us to, in Ephesians 5.21, we're told to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. So if you missed that message, go check that out. But listen to what Paul says in verse six. He says, in the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely. And you yourself, Titus, must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. So the consistent thing that Paul tells Titus is that we need each other. We need to learn from each other. That older people need to learn from younger people. Younger people need to learn from older people. We need each other if we are going to build better families. And so truth number three is this. It takes a bigger family to build a better family. It takes a bigger family to build a better family. What I mean by that is we need, in addition to our biological families, we need other people who share our values and share our faith to help us build families that bring honor and glory to God. We need that. We all need that. And my wife and I have benefited through our marriage and through our lives because of other people like that, other people who've been a spiritual family to us. My wife and I have been in many couples groups. I've been in many men's groups. My wife has been in many women's groups. Our kids are in small groups right now that they are benefiting from. Like there are some of you that are investing in my children, and that investment is helping my family to get better. And so we all need each other if we're going to build better families. So let me ask this. How many of you do not have biological family members living in Flagler County with you? How many of you would say, I don't have my biological family here? Well, we live in a community where there's a whole lot of people that move from other places. And when they move from other places, sometimes they don't have those family members there when they hit a crisis or they have a need and they need somebody to come in, step in and help them in that moment of need. And sometimes even when we do have that, some of those family relationships are so dysfunctional, so broken, so painful, there's so much drama that those relationships aren't that much help when we get into those moments when we need other people in our lives. And so God had an idea. It's called the church. He said, I got this wonderful idea. I know your families are going to be broken. I know there's going to be all kinds of dysfunction and, and uh, uh, pain and drama. I've got this idea. It's called the church, where God wants us to come together as a spiritual family to learn to love each other and care for each other the way a family should. And no matter where we move around the world, we could move on the other side of the planet, and if we find a Christ-centered church we should have found a family that we can belong to. 
That's the kind of environment we want to create here at Epic. We want to create that kind of environment that no matter whether you have biological family members here, no matter where you're from, no matter what your background, that when you come in here, if you want to learn the teachings of Jesus, like we welcome you to be a part of our church family. We want to help care for you. We want to get you connected relationally where you can be prayed for, prayed with, loved, and where you can learn to live a little bit more like Jesus and apply his teachings to your life. So this next part of our service, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about how we can do that together as a church family. And if you're kind of new to us, this is going to help kind of open some of the back doors for you to kind of see kind of what happens behind the scenes and how can I be involved in helping to create some better families, some spiritual families for the people that are coming to be a part of our church. And the way that we're going to do this is I'm going to interview two people. I'm going to interview my wife, Tammy, who leads our children's ministry. And I'm going to interview Cody Anderson, who leads our student ministry. So if you would, welcome them to the stage as they come. Tammy and Cody, thank you for doing this three times. I guarantee you this is the last one. Okay? This is it. This is it for the day. Okay, so you both have been involved in ministry for a number of years. So, Cody, would you tell us how many years you've been involved in student ministry? So, I've been in uh, children and student ministry uh, between 11 and 12 years now. 11 and 12 years, fantastic. Tammy, how many years have you been involved in children's ministry? A little, little over 20. A little, little over 20, 20 years. What's so amazing about that is, is she only looks about 25, wouldn't you say? I've done that three times in each service, and, you know, I'll tell you later if that that worked, okay? Um, So what I, why I wanted uh, them to say that is I want you to understand that when these two are on the stage talking, we're talking about lots of years of experience in children's and student ministry. So uh, they're they're kind of our, you know, internal experts uh, on this subject, and so we're going to be learning from them a little bit today. So for you guys, I'm going to switch up one of the questions that we had earlier. And I'm, I know, I know, I'm throwing you. I know, I know. Um, talk about how you have benefited personally from the spiritual family concept that we were talking about. How have you benefited in your personal family life? So, so in my family life, Um, I am far from perfect. If you ask my wife, she will tell you that also at most points, but I am far from perfect as a parent. And um, without my small groups, I've been in several several small groups, um, I would not know where to go when it came to parenting my first child. Um, I apologized to my first child multiple times over the past, like, I'm so sorry, we didn't know, you know, like, um, but I went to my small group and I picked their brain, like they've been through a lot of this stuff and I was able to glean off of them quite a bit. Um, and then on another note, um, one of the things, I mean, our church is small group focused where, uh, you know, we invest in each other in a small group and my, both of my kids are in small groups and, um, and there was a time that, um, that anybody have any kids uh, under ninth grade, like eighth grade? Okay, here's, here's a little glimpse for you. Ninth grade is tough. Uh, so, okay, something to look forward to in life. Um, but ninth grade is tough. And my daughter, um, she struggled a little bit. You know, she went into the high school and she um, 
struggled with her friend group. She struggled trying to find out who she was, struggling with the academics. Like, it was a tough time, and I seen something was going on with her, like, and Robin did, and we were like, what's going on? What's going on? She wouldn't speak. You could just tell her demeanor was down. She's usually an extrovert, kind of like me, and you just tell something was wrong, and she wouldn't listen to us. She wouldn't answer us, so... First thing I did, we called up uh, her small group leader, and small group leaders, we have t- she has two amazing small group leaders. One of them's right back there, which is amazing right now. Um, but they are great. Called them up, said something's going on. I have no idea what it was. I thought it was like the worst of the worst, you know? And she took her out, and they got coffee, brought her back home, and she went into her room for about 15 minutes, walked out with her computer, and presented on a PowerPoint exactly what was going on with her. I mean, that's legit. I mean, I don't, I don't know what went on in that conversation, but it worked. But I mean, the idea is that I can't do it alone. It takes an army. And without these people investing into my kids, I, I, I'd be lost. Yeah. yeah, we need that. Tammy, how has that been a benefit to our family? I mean, for our marriage specifically, it's been amazing. I know we probably wouldn't be here today had it not been people investing and just speaking truth into our hard times. And um, so uh, for, for us, definitely, even for our kids, um, I just think back through all the years of watching them grow up and having people surround them, um, just investing in them, even if it's through smiles, through hugs, small groups for sure. Um, I mean, just the other day, I, I think I... I was um, telling this in the other service, but, um, you know, like our 16-year-old that just tur- had her birthday, you know, she got flowers from her small group. And it was just, I mean, it's, it's huge. It may not seem like a big thing, but when your kid is in school and they're feeling alone or defeated or just, you know, questioning so much, and then someone takes the time to invest in your kid and you get to witness it, not only does it speak to me as a parent, but, I mean, it spoke to my my child for sure. So it's things like that, deposits like that through the years that, um, and then just knowing, I think as a parent, knowing someone else is praying for my kids, like I can't get enough of that myself. My, my kids can't ever get enough prayer. I mean, I think we could all say that, that we, we could never get enough of that. So just being surrounded by that throughout our, um, our marriage and our family growing up has been tremendous. Yeah, so we have benefited personally uh, from uh, building you know, b- bigger families in that spiritual family context. Now, um, how many children do we have on Sunday morning? Oh, I thought you were yeah. asking me, like, personally, four. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you threw me off. I do forget some things sometimes. <laughs> Hopefully not that. So in our children's ministries, yeah. in our three services, how right. many children do we have? We have over 150 in Tidepool and Riptide, which is um, nursery through fifth grade. Okay. Then in our student ministry. With middle and high school, it can range anywhere from 50 to 60 students. So we're talking about over 200 kids coming on a Sunday morning. Now, how amazing is that? I don't know about you, but I, I grew up, you know, it's kind of neat. It has a whole lot to do with what these guys do in investment, in their volunteers, and then what the volunteers do in our, our children and students' lives. But when I grew up, like, I, I hated going to church. It was my least favorite thing to do. I hated Sundays. I loved Mondays because it was the farthest day away from Sunday. And yet my kids love to come to church. Why? Because it's a place they go and connect with their friends. It's a place they go and connect with other adults that love on them and invest in them. And so we've got a whole lot of, of kids that are uh, being invested in on a regular basis. 
In our Tide Pool and Riptide, that happens in all three services. In our second service, our middle school ministry pipeline happens. And then in our third service, our high school ministry surge happens. Uh, so there's a whole lot going on behind the scenes that doesn't happen in this room. It happens in other parts of, of our buildings here in our campus. But um, why do you think children and students today desperately need a spiritual family that they can connect to? So uh, how, how many of you guys have, guys and girls, sorry, that have somebody that you could call when you're going through depression, when you're going through a bad time, when you're in that valley of feeling alone, that you could call up like any time, any day, like you know that they're there for you. All right. So, which is awesome. And I love that. And when I was in, um, when I was speaking a couple weeks ago, I asked my students that. And out of the 60 students that were there, I'd say just a few raised their hand. And it explained a lot for me because right now our students, a lot of your kiddos are immersed in technology. They were born into this world of technology. We're introduced into it. So although they are the most connected they've ever been right now, they are the most disconnected they've ever been when it comes to relationships and those people they can count on. And that's why it's so important for me, I feel like, because they need people they can call. I mean, when they're depressed, when they're being cyberbullied, when they're going through a tough time, when they have a hard decision, when they make a mistake, they can call somebody up and know somebody is there no matter what. That is what is going to help them out, I think. They need help. Yeah, need those connections. So, Tammy, how about the children? Yeah, just, I mean, it's very mirrored. It's that, con- that continual consistency, that continual investment in their lives um, on a weekly basis, really, because what they're up against is just... It's so crazy. I mean, our world's crazy. I think we can all agree with that. There's just so much going on in their world. And if they don't have um, that continual, just somewhere, a place that they can be a part of, um, relationships that they can be a part of that, are, that is consistent, that is just when the world is crazy, they can count on it um, to help them when drama happens, when chaos happens, when the unexpected happens, uh, that can point them to the truth. And, um, I mean, there, you can imagine how lost that would be for a child as well as a teenager. Yeah. Cody, you were talking in the first two services about the impact of suicide today. Let's speak to that for just a moment. So we actually, I taught on um, depression and suicide last week back in our middle school ministry and high school ministry. And, um, and it was prevalent because, um, definitely relevant because we just had about 30 days ago, just over a month ago, we had another high schooler take their own life. And, um, and it's a sad time because we have seen more teen suicides happen the past several years than we have in the lifetime of our flagger school system. And it's just, it's, I personally believe that it is because they are not connected enough. They do not have enough people to be able to turn to. And that's why it's so important that we have small groups, we have leaders, we have a God, just God-loving adults to be able to invest into these kids so they know that when they are in that spot, that they have an out, they can call up and say, hey, this is what's going on right now. Yeah, yeah so it's desperately needed. And we've got a, a, a growing church family and talk for a few minutes about how our church family can get involved in our children's ministry and student ministry and creating those spiritual family relationships where we can be available to kids in those moments when they're 
in need of somebody who can speak truth to them. So uh, sometimes people think there's only kind of one way to go serve with kids. And some people are like, well, I don't like kids. So, I, you know, you got anything for me? So just speak to some of the different ways that, that people can be involved with children and students. Yeah, I mean, there's so many ways. There's so many ways. And we understand. We know, we understand what stinky, smelly everything's like, right? Yeah, we get it. Uh, but there's so many ways. You know, if you have arms holding little people, you know, babies, little children that, you know, they need, sa- they need that safe feeling, just that, that personal connection. Um, even at a little age, if you, can, if you have arms and you could do that, you can be used in a great way. So um, welcoming our sign-in people that when they come in, just that friendly face that's going to be like remembering their name. Hey, how'd it go this week? You know, having, being able to converse with them uh, easily that way. It's not all about just teaching God's word. And I think a lot of times we get afraid uh, we don't know enough to be able to do that or I'm not gifted enough. I, I don't, I, they make me nervous. They make me sweat. I don't know what to do around them. And I get that. Totally get that. Um, but besides that, there's behind-the-scenes things. We have several people that do different projects for us that do, um, for instance, in Tidepool, we have a parent, teach, uh, parent resource board, I think. Um, John Manzi helped us do. He has a great gift with um, building, and so he used it for us to help uh, put that together so that our parents are able to have resources um, when they're looking for different things for their kids. Um, there's, and we talked about small group stuff and just, that's people taking the time every week, investing in a small group of kids and just being in their life, being that faithful, consistent person that, Hey, every week when a kid shows up, they know they're going to be there. And that speaks volumes, um, for that. I know you can probably add, I'm thinking stage decor. I mean, I'm thinking all kinds of stuff that you, that people can do and investing in kids without even realizing you know, sometimes you don't realize the domino effect, like everything that goes into what we do back there, just like service out here, the setup crew, we, we need setup back there. Um, you know, anything plays into having a child um, connect with Jesus, you know, it all goes together. It's all a puzzle piece. Yeah, so there's a lot of opportunities to be involved, but Cody, talk for a moment about the influence of men being involved in serving. So with men back there, there is a huge, I mean, need for it. I mean, any area to have a God-loving man back there to be able to mentor these guys and girls. One, how do we live as men? Um, How are we supposed to do that? And of course, how are we supposed to be God-loving husbands? You know, like how do we teach those kids that? I mean, um, a a lot of families don't have that parental figure or that male figure in their lives. So when they see it, they are thriving off of it. They will, there are things that, that, that male can do, just being there, interacting with them, that just reaches so many students, um, just having them back there. And um, it just makes a huge difference as a mentor to be able to do something like that and have somebody back there that will totally invest in my kids. I mean, if you could be a fly on the wall sitting on some of these small group conversations, these, I mean, they will come to my male leaders and they will just, they will ask them questions just about things that they're going through and, you know, temptation and struggles and friendships and stuff like that, that, I mean, they know they experienced, they've been there, they've done that. And just to have that as an influence in their lives, I think is absolutely amazing. Yeah. So Tammy, how have you seen that in children's ministry? Yeah, we have had some amazing men come forward and be part of our ministry back there. And I, every, I know they never believe me, but when I see them every Sunday, I literally want to cry because they don't realize a lot of times I, when a man walks into a, a room, um, the, the presence alone, the kids are just, it's like an, 
I always, <laughs> it's like an angel, Whoa, you know, but it's true. The kids are just, it's like a magnet and instantly they have um, what sometimes it takes me 10 times the work to get uh, that connection, but men can just have it just because of their presence. And, um, you know, there's one thing that I think about the importance of having men back working with children and working with students is because, um, you know, sometimes I think, especially little boys, you know, they'll look around and if they don't see men that are willing to do, to learn about God, to spend time with kids and to point kids in the direction of, of Christ, if they don't have that role model, that person there, then they grow up questioning, is this important? I mean, they watch, you know, men be a part of all these other things and they see what's important, but when it's not, there's not that spiritual influence or that spiritual importance in a man's life and they don't see any examples of it, you know, when they look around in their atmosphere and their environments, I think they really question that. Like, you know, um, just how important is this? So, and I think as parents, we can know, we know how important it is, but it's the, making that connection of, um, you know, making that happen for our kids to see. Yeah, and I, I wanted these two to highlight that specifically for men, because sometimes when we're talking about uh, these subjects of serving in children's ministries, student ministries, I, I know what some of you guys are thinking, because I used to think the same thing. Oh, they're talking to the ladies. They're not talking to me, but we're talking to you. We've got some amazing women volunteers that play at such an incredibly high level around Epic. Like I am in, in awe of them and so grateful for the investment that they make. And we need men to do the same thing. And so we're inviting you men. Don't just think, hey, we're talking to some person sitting next to you. And we're talking to you as well. You can make an eternal investment in the lives of children and students that you will never regret. So Cody and Tammy, I'm gonna give you the final 60 seconds. Okay, we've got a captive audience here. So you share whatever you feel like you need to share for the importance of us being a spiritual family for children and students. I'd say it's super important to surround our kids just with resources, with people to be able to invest in them. I mean, I don't know if you guys connect with this, but when I, before I even started serving, um, I had several thoughts going through my mind before I was asked. And it was, one, I don't know the Bible well enough. I can't quote scripture. I cannot connect with these kids. They smell. Like, and they, I'm afraid of them. Like, a high schooler staring me down. They, I'm telling you what. But here's the thing, is that God knew I had something I could give them. And... Um, I just had to believe that and for myself, like I just had to take a step. So I took this small step and then God took me the rest of the way. Once he showed me, I could do it. And what I thought were my weaknesses, God uses as my strengths now. But first I had to take that step. And that's all we ask you guys to do is as you're sitting here and processing this and seeing the needs and, um, that tug that you're feeling on your heart, like, yeah, I, I know these kids do need somebody. I see it. Um, maybe you're that one. You know, maybe you just need to take that small step and see what God's going to do. And may, student ministry may not be for you. Maybe it's children ministry. Maybe it's something else. But if you don't take a step, you'll never know what God's going to do in your life. Give them the opportunity. That's cool. Good word. Tammy? You know, I just, I think kids and students in our day and age are floundering. And they need someone to love them. Bottom line, they need to be loved. They need to be believed in. And I think any of us in this room can look around. We, we could do that. We, could, we understand what that is like. We understand the need for that because we have the need for that. And um, so like Cody's talking about, you know, so many times we let 
fear or um, just maybe the lack of knowledge or whatever that might be, um, be our excuse to not fill that role. And, um, you know, I just encourage you that God is not the spirit of fear. And if I can learn stuff, you guys, believe me, you can learn how to do it. And, you know, when I think of kids or students, because we've had four kids, so we've had all those stages, and um, every stage of their life, they just want to be loved, they want to be believed in. And I think, you know, looking back in my world, I wish there would have been more people to take their time and just invest in me as a kid, uh, invest in me as a teenager. There were so many alone years. But if it wouldn't have been for my parents, thank goodness I had them um, pouring into me like that. But this day and age, our kids are bombarded through social media, through everything. You can't even imagine what they're bombarded with. And we don't know that. But we, God knows what their needs are, and he's placed us as, to be in their lives and even if you don't have kids back there, and you, you know, some of us reach that age and we're like, well, we've been there, done that. You've got so much wisdom and so much more understanding of things that you can still be an influence in their life. And they need you. They need you. Great. Would you help me thank Cody and Tammy for sharing today? So as we close, we've got a video I'd like you to watch. It's a video we put together from our children and student ministries. And so as you watch this, just pay attention to the many opportunities that you have to be involved in these ministry areas. Watch this together. So it takes bigger families to build better families, and we invite you to join our church family in reaching the many families that are coming uh, to our church and the many families we can serve in our community. On your seat is a little card that says, get involved. And if you look at the back side of that, you'll see there's all kinds of opportunities for you to get involved in the life of our church. And I just challenge it. If you haven't found a place yet, if, you, if you've been coming for any length of time and this is a place you go to church, when you go to church, I invite you, I challenge you, I encourage you, find a place to be a part of our church family to help us reach our community for Jesus. So on your way out, there's some tables over there where you can explore more opportunities, ask more questions, and sign up today. So let me pray with you, and then we'll be dismissed. God, thanks so much for creating the church, a spiritual family where we can be connected and we can be loved and prayed for and, and discipled and, and we, where we can learn to live a little bit more like Jesus. And Lord, you knew that our families would, would have some dysfunction, have some drama, and so, Lord, you created this environment where we can be connected with each other in a spiritual context, in a real uh, physical, relational context. And, Lord, we know we need these families in order to build better families. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us get connected in our church family so that we can continue to serve our community. In Jesus' powerful name, we pray this. Amen. Amen. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next Sunday.